Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. The rise of organic food has been steady over the past 20 years and it's very much part of many consumers' food buying decision process. Paddock to plate is an in-demand thing too. One of Australia's best-known organic meat success stories is Cleaver's Organic Meats. Starting from a humble suburban butcher's store in Sydney, Cleaver's products are now stocked in supermarkets across Australia. They have achieved this by never losing sight of their key aim, providing Australian families with delicious, healthy and ethically organic meat products. Today, I'm in conversation with Paul De Silva, and he is the Marketing Innovations Director of Arcadian Organic and Natural Meat Company for the past three years, but actually has been with the company as a whole for over six years. Paul works across Arcadian's brand portfolio, which includes Cleavers Organic, Borrowdale and Wellbilber Organic repositioning Cleavers as the flagship brand and the most successful organic meat brand in Australia. Paul is responsible for the development and execution of the marketing strategy as well as the business's objective over the domestic market and export markets, including the USA and Singapore. Paul is also responsible for all aspects of Arcadian's industry-leading carbon management programs and a warm welcome to the politics of everything, Paul De Silva. Thank you so much for having me. So, chart out ambitions. I don't imagine you thought you'd be working in organic meat or organic produce perhaps when you were a kid. Do you remember what you wanted to be? What did young Paul want to be and did he achieve that? Uh, yes, it, and it was very different to where I am now. I actually started out as a naval officer and I wanted to go to sea on ships and I did that. Unfortunately for me, I suffer chronic seasickness. Everyone will get seasick. I suffer chronic seasickness. And that meant that even though the Navy and I really wanted both wanted me to stay, uh, I needed to find other things to do. And that led me into other directions. And I did postgraduate business study. And I eventually wound up running marketing and advertising for Navy recruiting for a couple of years. And then I left the service and wound up in a marketing organisation, uh, in an agency. I worked through a couple of different businesses, including uh, OPSM, people might recognise, and um, uh, Canon, the multinational Japanese technology business, before working for myself and eventually landing in the food industry about 10 years ago. And that's led me to where I am now. Absolutely. So look, a lot of us are very familiar with the term of of paddock to plate, and it's often used to market particular restaurants or products, which we, we obviously decide to buy. What does gate to plate kind of mean? Because I saw that on the Cleaver's uh, organic site. And what does it mean in the business that you work in? And is there any kind of example of what that looks like that you can give us that really brings that idea to life of how the business operates? Sure. So gate to plate is a very similar concept. So the reference to the farm gate in agriculture is a very common expression about uh, what happens beyond the farm gate or behind the farm gate. 
for our organisation, being certified organic yeah, is a really big commitment and it means that everything that happens on the property for the production of the, the livestock is very tightly controlled to comply with the organic certification. But also everything that happens beyond that must also comply in order to maintain the organic certification. So everything to do with the transport of the animals, the processing of the animals, the subsequent processing of the product, so how the meat is is packed, you know, if it's turned into done any further processing to be turned into sausages or meatballs or you know, hot dogs as we as we do. Every step must be certified organic. Every input needs to be certified organic. Uh, so there's a huge amount of care that happens between the farm gate and the product getting on shelf or being home delivered, as well as what actually has to happen behind the farm gate for it all to be certified organic. So it's a massive process. And I guess what makes organic produce different to non-organic? I mean, obviously there's a certification process, which I imagine is quite stringent, but what are the other kind of bits and pieces behind the scenes that we may not see that makes it different to baby non-organic produce? Well, it takes three years for a farm to go through the transition process to become certified organic. That's uh, a very big commitment. Is there a reason for that? Is that just because of the way in which the soil and everything has to be dealt with or the products have to change that you use on the farm? What would be the sort of reasoning for that time frame? Yeah, so... The main thing is to ensure that if there was any substances being used on that property that don't comply with the organic production requirements, that three years after that, um, then their effects or residues uh, will have dissipated. So it guarantees that by the time a certification is issued, there won't be any residue of anything that was you know, part of a previous production system. Mm. So during that three years, the farm is operating in accordance with the organic production system. They can't do anything that is not permitted, but they still don't get their certification until the three years is up. Um, and during that time, they are audited. And organic certification is independent. So it's not something that we do. The federal government has uh, legislation on this around biodyn- organic and biodynamic produce and they authorise certification bodies to enforce those standards and issue certifications. And I imagine once you've got that certification, there's probably some checks and balances after that as well that sort of, you know, keep you honest if you like Absolutely. to make sure so, that that keeps going. That's correct. So there are annual audits and there are also surprise audits on top of that. So every year you will be audited but you may also get an audit with no warning where an auditor turns up on a given day and says, I'm here to do your surprise audit. And that guarantees that everybody is playing the game. I should point out too that certified organic, unfortunately, is not mandatory in Australia if you're going to sell your produce within Australia. So if you want to export organic produce out of Australia, then it's Uh, the law says you must be certified and you require a a special certificate to export your produce. But if you are only going to sell it within Australia, it's actually only voluntary to comply with with that. And that's a real issue 
which we lobbying constantly on uh, along with the rest of the um, uh, the industry that's certified to, to have that changed because it means that within Australia consumers are often misled about the production system associated with the food they're buying and so it's really important if you have expectations about a rigorous production system for organic food, preventing inputs that you don't want to be there, guaranteeing animal welfare, and guaranteeing you know, environmental, environmentally sustainable practices, you need to look for an organic certification mark. Yeah. Otherwise, it may, it's, it may entirely be the, the claim of somebody who is not being measured or uh, audited by anyone. Yeah, that's great. That's a great education piece, I guess, for all of us who are less familiar with the process to become certified. So why is organic meat generally more expensive? And do you think that'll change as demand rises and you kind of get those economies of scale? Or are there just some fixed costs and realities which you have to factor into any pricing? The key thing with the organic production system is it really is different. So the things that you have to do differently are, if I was to, to kind of group them broadly, is you cannot use any of the synthetic inputs that might accelerate or do accelerate production in a conventional system or an unregulated system. So it, it means that you can't use artificial fertilisers, you can't use synthetic chemicals, you can't use antibiotics, you can't use uh, hormone growth promotants, you can't use GMOs. None of those things are permitted. You can't confine the animals, such as in a feedlot. That's not permitted. They must always be free-ranging and entirely able to access the, the outside. So if you have a shed that they can walk into, great, but that's the animal's choice. And the, the environment, obviously, there's requirements about kind of how the land is kept. So all of those things mean that you can't accelerate the, the growth of the animal in the way that a conventional system can. And because the animals must be free range, you find that the stocking densities are much, much lower, which means you have less animals to sell at the end of the process or less you know, kilograms. Animals are sold by the kilogram. So inherently, because that is the way you are producing the product, it is more expensive than conventional but there are very definite advantages. Because it's really different, you do get real advantages. But that does come through in, in the pricing. Yeah, absolutely. So the idea that farmers are custodians of the land is is a great one. And obviously by respecting, supporting, you know, network of Australian farmers, the business that, that you help operate ensures that the farms remain viable and productive for generations to come, which is of course what everybody would love love to see. However, there are plenty of studies arguing that obviously red meat consumption in particular is environmentally damaging. So how do you balance that out in, I guess, the ethos of the business? Well, I come back to the production system. In fact, there's a a nice little statement I've heard that kind of summarises that it's not the cow, it's the how. So it's not the Oh, that's nice. (laughs) That's like a bumper sticker. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be fabulous, wouldn't it? Um, It's not the fact that you're raising livestock. It's the means by which you are doing that. So uh, humans have been farming livestock for a very long time. I think it's probably about 10,000 years since cattle were domesticated in the, the, uh, the Indus Valley and around the Taurus Mountains. 
It's only in very recent times where intensive agricultural practices have changed the way the process is approached, which can make it you know, problematic. In the case of certified organic, you know, the system demands that the animals are raised free range, which means that you can only run what is what the land will support. You're not you're not confining animals in huge numbers. You're actually having small numbers of cattle over a very large area. So in our case, our suppliers tend to average one animal to 15 acres or through to one animal to 20 acres. Now, that's very low stocking density. So if you can picture, you know, uh, a lot of people might have friends on a five-acre property on the edge of uh, an urban area. Imagine three or four of those with only one animal on it. That's the yeah the average stocking density in our supplier yeah farmer network. Yes. Then mostly the land on which these grass-fed animals have been raised is unsuitable for anything else. So it's not suitable to grow any kind of crop on. It's just natural grassland. So you're not using country that can be used for anything else. And then you have a very low number of animals on it. And then on top of that, in our case, you know, it's the issue of you know, emissions, greenhouse gas emissions. All of the emissions from our animals is measured and offset, in fact, right through our supply chain. So that we proudly put a certification mark on there from, from a separate independent uh, certifying body that they have measured and we have to reconcile quarterly that they know what their emissions are and we have to offset that. So Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it, we can't speak for other producers, but an organic production system with uh, that is also carbon neutral means it's actually a product that is treading very lightly on the uh, environment. So looking a little further afield, how has organic meat exporting shaped our economy in Australia perhaps in the last decade or so? And obviously, you know, your business, like many others that works the land per se, has to manage issues like drought or sudden trade disputes with, say, China, for example. Do you have sort of those strategies and plans in place as part of your business growth to keep exporting, keep expanding? And sort of, you know, anecdotally, how do you deal with the setbacks when things shift very suddenly or, you know, they're out of your control, such as a drought? Well, we try and be very agile. So, Organic is still a niche, so it would be it's important to understand kind of relative to conventional food production. It is still a niche, but it is it is a large niche and it is growing. So it's about fifteen percent compound annual growth per year for the organic segment. In terms of export, uh, we are the largest uh, by some margin exporter of certified organic meat in Australia and we are arguably the largest supply chain for certified organic meat in the world and that means that we are a significant exporter for Australia generating a lot of value but the scale of us compared to conventional beef or lamb is still you know um, they're quite some uh, some distance in front of us yet but we are definitely definitely gaining ground the majority of our export actually goes to the United States, but we do export. I think last year we exported to 12 countries. We're fortunate that we didn't have a lot of volume going into China, so that 
the change in the broad relationship between Australia and China hasn't affected our business too much. But that's partially because our strategy has always been to to spread our exports uh, amongst you know, numerous markets. As I say, we had um, you know, 12 countries last year that we, we sent product to. Um, and we stay agile. When it comes to things like drought and atmospheric, well, sorry, climatic challenges, we are, like everybody else, vulnerable to those things happening. The upside with a production system that is certified organic is that you tend to be a little bit insulated from it by the, the very nature of the, the system. So because the stocking densities are much lower, it means that the pressure on the, the land that our farmers run is much lower. So when a drought does start to loom, the rate at which they feel the pressure is less. Yeah, they definitely feel it over time. But I'd say they go in more slowly and they don't hit the bottom quite so hard and they're able to hang on longer. You know, clearly, there's, there's a limit to any farming system that's relying on rain for, you know, to, to grow the grass for the natural feed for the animals. But there's a limit um, as to how long you can go without it. But if you don't have as many animals eating that grass and you're able to, you know, to manage that system a little better and you will do a little better. So that allows us to just have a, a little bit more flexibility when it comes to dealing with those situations. Absolutely. Changing tack a little bit, a little bit more about yourself and your own career journey. I always believe that people haven't got to where they are in their business and, and life without a few mentors along the way. Sometimes they're formal, sometimes they're informal mentors. Are one or two coming to mind that have had an impact on your life and who were they and what was that impact? I would say one of the enduring influences was actually a teacher I had at high school and he was a, a mathematics teacher and he I was certainly not the, uh, the star of the class but his approach to how to learn something that was for me you know at the time the material I was learning was difficult and it seemed you know, other people were picking it up more easily than I but his approach as to how you went about acquiring the knowledge has always stuck with me. He probably remains kind of one of the uh, best teachers I've had all through, whether it was school or, or university study. John Rosengren was the gentleman's name. It's great that you remember that. It's it's, uh, But I think a great teacher early on can really make a huge difference, and it does sound cliche, but you can you can often feel that influence and in the, in the things they taught you yeah, going absolutely. resonating throughout your journey as you, you know, grow into adulthood and obviously career-wise and so forth. Yeah, so I would say he uh, probably and his approach was um, allowed me to acquire knowledge in strange circumstances or difficult circumstances, probably where I uh, was initially thinking, yeah, this is going to be very difficult. Yeah, it's, it's helped me a lot. Excellent. So if you could choose a favourite book, song or film, what would it be and why? Ooh, uh, favourite film. Look, over the years that's uh, kind of, Oscillated. There's some things I you know, tend to come back to. A bit quirky one is always The Wall by Pink Floyd. I think it was 1983 with Bob Geldof. Very memorable. Favourite song. That depends on the day a little bit, doesn't it? Um, Lou Reed's Dirty Boulevard is up there along with uh, the Rolling Stones' Sympathy for the Devil. And favourite book. 
Well, my wife always tells me that I don't read widely enough because I tend to read a lot of non-fiction, but probably a favourite book because of its influence on world history, and I have I read a lot about the history of it, is strangely the Bible. And the history of how the Bible came to be is something that very few people pay any attention to. And that fascinates me greatly. A lot of people make many assumptions about how it came to be created and how it, you know, how what is in the English version we read, how it came to be there. Uh, a lot of people would be quite surprised, I think, to read about the, the actual history of it. Oh, well, if everyone's running out of ideas of what to read in lockdown, I'm sure they're, they're able to seek that one out. That might be fascinating yeah. and, um, <laughs> and enlightening for people. Um, as we wrap up today, what would be your final takeaway message for us on the politics of organic produce? It would be that organic, certified organic produce is truly different as because of the very strict standards that you need to meet to achieve certification. And that points to the fact that you, if you want the benefits of organic produce, you need to look for certified organic product. Look for a certified organic mark. And the, the most recognisable and by far the most widely used is the Bud logo from Australian Certified Organic. The stamp of approval. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you today on The Politics of Everything. If you do want to connect further with Paul, there will be some details on our show notes. Until next time, keep well. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.